You're listening to Three Valleys Radio. Welcome to our In Conversation program. Every week we talk to a sporting personality to find out just what makes them tick. From their early childhood, to their professional career, to their musical tastes. We cover it all. So sit back and enjoy as we talk to this week's special guest. Here on Three Valleys Radio. Well, good evening and welcome to In Conversation. Tonight's guest is one of the leading horse race trainers on the flat in this country. It's none other than Clive Cock. Good evening, Clive. Um, thank you very much for coming on the show. Uh, I kind of feel as like we've got horse racing royalty on the show today. So uh, really great to have you on the board. And um, yeah, how's it been going for you? We've um, we're having a good season, thanks, Adi. And um, yeah, the horses are running well. And uh, we've, we've had a few nice few winners. We've had 40... 44 winners in, in the UK and, and one in France so far this year. So things are moving along well, thank you. Good, good, good. Well, let's start from the beginning. I, I normally try and, and, and get to the to the um, the first day with your horses, as it were. Well, I mean, you know, going back before you were... You, 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 how did you get involved with horses in the first place? Before you were uh, a jockey, I, very... I mean, you know, when did, when did, you, when did you start? Um, I was very lucky that um, I was brought up uh in a farming family and um i was we were we were brought up with horses and ponies right from the beginning really yeah and um my grandfather was very keen on racing and um we had point to pointers and only one or two or or and, and ponies right from the beginning my father especially was very keen on introducing us to riding um uh ponies and although he was milking cows um he was getting up early in the mornings on weekends and as soon as we i think from two years old we were we were going off to shows and just grew up with it really and um it became second nature and um you know we worked hard but but we had the ponies and that was a great uh encouragement for competition and um but but also the the livestock introduction was what i value hugely now and and um uh, my father especially is a great stockman and my grandfather um, added a, an equine slant to that as well. So I was I was very fortunate to, to be brought up in the family I was. Uh, so what sort of age were you when you first started riding a, a pony? Uh, well, listen, I've just sat on the leading rein to begin with right from two years of age. But mm-hmm. um, as, as things progressed, we, we never... Um, Listen, it was it was a, a very hard working family. We weren't um dad worked hard to buy cheap ponies for us and, and generally we would a lot of them came from Exeter Market and places like that. 
and um, we'd get them going well enough for a couple of years. And as soon as they started looking like um, they were they were going to be a bit better than we started out, then we'd we'd swap them in for another one. And and it was very much um, yeah, it was a very thrifty kind of. Even though we had the horses, we worked really hard with everything else to afford that, and um, that was that was always major respectful for for what you were allowed to do really you know yeah and and I mean, was that there a time when you i mean did you did you have pony racing in your in your youth no not really pony racing wasn't that's only been a recent introduction and and very helpful too um we would go around the gymkhanas and um you know uh you you just you do what your horse was good at really so there was showing working hunter um and occasionally, I can remember we went to stay on holiday with with um, some relations down on the edge of Dartmoor, and and uh, they had a really good pony, our relations, and and um, and managed to win a points cup at the local Jim Carno on that. So the competitive spirit was more um, ingrained at that stage, and and um, I found that's followed over into what we do now. It, it really was a huge help and a great foundation. And what sort of age would that have been in Clive? All the way through um, up until I left school at 16, really. Yeah. Um, but you, as as we got into our teens, you were very much in tune with trying to make a horse to to make a few bob to go and do it again. Yeah. And um, that was it. It was it was you know we'd be buying them for a couple of hundred pounds and hopefully selling them for um, as much as possible when when the time came and and um, you know to to good homes and you'd, you'd get a baseline on their education and, and then it was time to go and do it all over again which uh, we had some great ponies though and, and very fond memories of uh, growing up and building good good relationships with that bond with the horses and yeah. um, it was it was very important and um, you went on then to become a national hunt jockey um, with over a hundred winners it says here on your website so uh, I'm not going to argue with that um, at well, what point did you get into the to the national hunt racing? Well, I started off when I when I I was never that big, and I was lucky enough. I was very light, even at sixteen. I was um, just over seven stone or around seven stone. So um, my grandfather had, um, in his earlier days, he'd he'd been um, a, a butcher friend of his, and himself owned a couple of horses. In training and there was an introduction there to a very good trainer not far from where we live now over at um, Compton in between Newbury and Oxford um, Peter Cundell who was who I was well that was my first job I went into racing when I left school mm-hmm. um, and um, Ken Cundell Peter's father had previously trained a couple of horses for my grandfather many many years ago um, but I was light enough at the time um, the minimum weight was seven stone seven and uh, I was fortunate enough to be able, as an apprentice, to claim seven pounds um, allowance, which all apprentices have when they've not ridden any winners. Yeah. But that meant doing a doing a really light weight of seven stone. And I was my first winner was on a horse called Swift Palm at Doncaster uh, on the fifth of November in 1981. Um, and gradually, after a few, I think I had about 70 or 80 rides on the flat. Only a couple of winners on the flat, but but a good few placed horses, um, and um, the pound started to go on, and and you know as as I grew, 
then it made sense that I moved into the national hunt game mm. and um that that um brought me a little bit closer to home. I moved from Peter Cundall's back down to Somerset to a trainer called Stuart Patamore and um Right now, let's have the first of Clive's choice of music, and it's Whitney Houston, and I absolutely adore this track. It's called I Have Nothing.
Houston there with I Have Nothing. Somerton was that? Somerton. Yeah, I know. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. And he used to own the uh, Red Lion Hotel in Somerton, as it serves to me, I think. He certainly did. Yeah, yeah. no, he was a, a larger-than-life character. I think he was more of a, an antiques dealer, but he had some very, um, very respectable horses. He bought a good quality horse, and yeah. um, uh, he had some, some very good horses in the West Country. And um, my first ride over hurdles for him was on a horse called Akram down at um, Devon and Exeter, yeah. and uh, and it won, which was great. And um, had a few winners for him. I rode a double for him at um, uh, Wincanton one day on on a, uh, a horse over hurdles, and then my first ride over fences at Wincanton was also a winner. So that was good. Yeah. Um, and um, from from making those early steps, I was able to move back up to Berkshire to Lambourne and um, I nearly went to work for Fred Winter, John Frankham, um, who I'd met when I was at Peter Cundall's very kindly um, said that's what I ought to be doing. And um, at the time, Fred Winter had a few conditional jockeys and uh, I was redirected to Oliver Sherwood, who was Fred's assistant, but was just going out on his own. And um, I, I went to work for Oliver, and I think I was there for eight years. But um, from joining him to begin with, um, we, we had a healthy um, beginning. And, and um, I rode a horse called Sacred Path, who was my first ride for Oliver. And he won um, on that first ride, which was great. Um, and as time went on, he was a horse that his brother, Simon, who was his first jockey, got on especially well with and uh he he um uh simon moved from being an amateur to a professional and jocked me off to ride the horse and things didn't go well for simon so i got the leg up back on him and we we built up a bit of a rapport and i think we won seven or eight races he'd, he'd won seven races before um he ended up being a, a the favorite for the grand national in 1988 and um, mm. I was lucky enough to be on board for that for that ride, but um, things didn't go especially well. Um, we were we were fallers at the first fence, and um, but uh, I think they call it character building, you know. I should imagine it would be because I can't think of anything worse than falling at the first fence in the, in the national of everything. You know, I mean, all all the build up and the anticipation aspect must have been a must have been a killer when you fell fell off. Oh dear, well, never mind. It was, it was a long it was a long journey home from Aintree, I can yeah, assure you. I, and, I uh, bet it was. But 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 you you've got um, strong links with Somerset, haven't you? In, in this part of the world, um, you know, can you explain a little bit about that? Well. Mother and father moved down to um, the Polden Hills in between uh, uh, Bridgewater and Glastonbury, uh, a little village called Moorlinch. Yeah. And um, so, um, yeah, we grew up in that area. And, and um, I think, you know, the West Country never quite leaves you. It's, it's a very special place. And mm. um, I've got a lot of friends and relations down there. And um, although we've been in Lambourne now for a very long time, um, it's always nice to go back to the West Country. I don't think it ever feels anything uh, any any less homely, really. Um, mm. It's very it's a very special place. 
Yeah, well, I must admit, I've been down here since I was 15, and that's a long time, so I, I like it, I must admit. But, um, so, eventually you, you, you gave up racing, you know, riding, you know, jump jockey riding. What, what, what exactly was the reason for that? And we'll find out the reason for that after the next track that we're going to hear, which is Christopher and Lady in Red.
Well, that was Lady in Red by Christopher. Well, I think you, I, I realised I'd done as well as I probably could. Um, you get you get balls. I think the real reason I gave up was when I came up to Lambourne and rode a better class of horse. I rode some really nice horses, and the feeling that those really good horses gives you um, is very special, and that never leaves you either. And I'd got to a point in my career where I was getting on less nice horses. There was some. There's always a wave of young riders coming on behind you, and the likes of Jamie Osborne and um, Nick Fitzgerald and, and people like that were coming along, and and they were the next wave really. Mm. And you know, I was I was riding horses that you were getting a bit of a bollock in for not doing as well as the owners and trainers would have liked. And um, I was driving home from Plumpton one day and got the idea that um, you, you, you stop enjoying it. And, and my wife, Tina, she was instrumental as well in, in as much as, um, uh, you know, we actually went to school together in the street. Yeah. And um, uh, so we've been married 32 years now. But in those early days, um, she was very good um, breaking in horses as well. And, and um, we'd started to do a little bit of breaking behind the scenes of riding and getting a bit busier doing that. And, and it's very difficult once you start doing something besides riding, you, you take the eye off the, the, the ball, really. And I think you need to be 110% behind riding. Hmm. And I was getting to that stage where other things were becoming more attractive in, in looking at buying yearlings and getting involved with that side of things, a step closer to training, really, without really planning to do it. It was just happening. And yeah. um, uh, that's, that's when you start thinking like that, you're going into a fence at, at 35 miles an hour and you're just two or three percent not behind that whole thing. It's time to stop. And, yeah. and that's what I felt. You know? And you then joined um, Mike Heaton Ellis um, and you were there for, for, for quite a while, I think, weren't you? Yes, I was. Mikey was, was somebody... Um, well, I did actually start on my own prior to going to Mikey, um, and that didn't quite work out. It was, it was a business venture that I went into with, with both eyes open, but sadly it didn't, didn't go according to plan. But I picked up the pieces that um, uh, we'd, we'd, we'd achieved at that stage and very pleased to say that joining Mikey was a, a huge... Uh, I don't know, it was just one of the best things I'd ever done in my life. He was just such a wonderful person. Mm. He was in a wheelchair. He'd, he'd um, sadly ended up uh, in a wheelchair through a riding accident. He had a fall at Huntingdon. Yeah. And basically, he was he was looking for an assistant. And um, so I, I gladly took a couple of horses that I had with me as his assistant. And more importantly, we became very, very close friends and worked very closely together. Um, poor Mikey, very sadly, was only uh, 41 when he died of motor neurons disease. Oh, and yes. at that point, I had uh, I had a decision to make whether we, we hung in there and um, had a go. And, and we had a lot of goodwill from the owners that were there at the time. And um, I'm very grateful we did. But um, I think it's fair to say if Mikey had still been alive, I think we, we would remained with him for a very very long time and uh, they were some of the most happy years of our lives and he was a very very special person 
Well, obviously, Clive Cox Racing has now arrived on the scene, and suddenly you're, you know, a very successful trainer on the flat. Um, you know, mixing with people such as Her Majesty the Queen, um, Godolphin. Uh, you know, these are these are major names in the in the horse racing industries. How how do you get on with these people? I mean, you know, it must. Uh, what's it like meeting the Queen? I presume you've met her, have you? More music now, and this time we're going to hear from Police and Walking on the Moon.
Police and walking on the moon. Now let's find out from Clive just what it is like meeting the Queen. Most certainly haven't. It's a real privilege. I, I just can't um, uh, say how, you know, just over um, 14 months ago, we, we, we didn't have any horses for her and, and it was a most wonderful thing to be asked to, to train for Her Majesty. Um, we've been happy to have a winner for her and, and that, that, you know, it, it's it's a wonderful um, thing that I never dreamt even possible. So extremely Hmm. grateful for, for that I mean, support. Tell me, as, as, as a sort of a, you know, a layman in those sort of terms, I mean, d does she come down and, and watch the horses working for you or, or that sort of thing? Or, or you know, is it, is, it, is it not the done thing to do that? I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm just... Well, no, it's, it's all rather... This, this happened um, shortly after coming out of COVID. So, um, to be honest, um, I don't really know is the answer, but it's a real hmm. privilege and an honour to... to yeah. To, to have that um, trust uh, installed in us, really. Have, have you had any winners for her yet? Yes, we have. We had. We had. We've had one winner and, and some nice placed horses. But um, yeah, please God, we can continue to improve what we're doing for her. And then you know, moving across then to Godolphin, and and we've got to talk about Harry. Um, you know, what's it like working with Godolphin? I mean, you know, Sheikh Mohammed, I presume, or was it Sheikh Hamdan? I'm, I'm not sure which one is which in this uh, situation. Well, he was an amazing horse, and um, I bought him as a yearling at um, Doncaster Sales, and uh, he he earned the accolade of being the, the fastest six furlong horse in the world for a short time, hmm. um, which which was quite a quite a title to to have. Um, he was very, very special, and, and I'm hoping his progeny, progeny that he's producing now start and show a little bit of um, similar quality and, and speed that he had. Hmm. Um, but he was he was owned by um, Peter Ridges, who is is a very uh, close friend and owners of our owner of ours to begin with, and um, he, he had many nice horses, Jimmy Styles being one, and um, Harry Angel was was very special, and and. Um, Yes, that's right. I mean, he was bought by um, Godolphin Sheikh Mohammed to stand at stud, but, but he continued racing for us for a little while, and um, it was it was extremely special that um, after after winning um, to begin with at Group Two level, he then went on to win uh, the Haydock Sprint, which is this weekend, and and previous to that, he, he'd won the July Cup, which. Um, uh, was amazing um mm. you know it's a it's a you know i have to pinch myself to think that we can even be having this conversation never mind winning it you know was that were your best days in racing yeah i think we've we've been so lucky to share these days with very special people and and um lethal force was another july cup winner that still holds the course record there um and Robin Craddock, the owner of that, was a, was another very very special person. Sadly, no longer with us, but um, enormously um, special days that racing can allow you to to share those real highs with some very special people. And and yeah, it, it's it's only imaginable how how lucky we've been. Yeah, but uh, when it came to buying um, Harry Angel, you 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 bought him. I know, obviously, before sort of reselling so to speak um what made you go for him was there it did you know did he sort of jump out at you like a a flash out of the of the blue or what i mean what how was it 
you know, you, you go into a, a sale, um, you know, a sale um, session up at uh, Newmarket or wherever. I mean, did he, did he, you know, did he, did he just jump at you and you think, yeah, that's the one? It's it's very special. I think the going back to the early part of the conversation, my father and going to the shows and watching the confirmation of the horses you were competing against, yeah. and Dad explaining to you this and that. You 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 get an eye for what you like and the, the sort of physical sense of strength and and confirmation is so important to any athlete. And um, looking at those things is is um, instrumental. Um, those those very grateful upbringing uh, that, that I was able to share with my parents and grandparents. Um, that that is what I um, hold a lot of um, satisfaction in in being taught by by my elders at that stage. And, and um, yeah, so when you when you see a horse, the horse like Harry Angel is a horse that you just didn't want to be leaving the cells without and yeah. um it, it's it does happen but it's a rarity and and um when those things happen it it gives you such a, a an amazing feeling and doesn't always go right when you get them home they can have the right physical sense and not the the, the mental capacity to cope so there are so many factors that that come through but it, it does give me great pride that we're uh, you know able to compete with those horses we fought more music now, and this time it's the boss. It's Bruce Springsteen and The River. I come from down in the valley Where Mr. They bring you up to do Like your daddy done Me and Mary, we met in high school And she was just 17 We drive out of this valley Down to where fields were green We go Down to the river 
got a job working construction for the Johnstown Company. But lately there ain't been much work on account of the economy. Now all them things that seem so important, well, Mr. They vanish right into the air. Now I just act like I don't remember it. Mary acts like she don't care. But I remember us riding in my brother's car, her body tan and wet down at the reservoir. At night on them banks I'd lie awake and pull her close just to feel each breath she'd take. Now those memories come back to haunt me. They haunt me like a curse. There's a dream of life that don't come true. Sends me down to the river. Oh, I know the river is dry. That sends me down to the river tonight. Down to the river, my baby and I. Oh, down to the river, Pira. Springsteen there and the river him. I mean, there's loads of other horses I've got listed down here that I was going to ask you about, but we're going to run out of time if I do that. But um, heartwarming in particular, or heartache, I should say. Heartwarming was was uh, um, uh, by heartache. I think am I right in saying that? She's out of heartache, but heartache was um, a very special filly that I'm I'm pleased was sent to us by um, the Harpers. And she belonged to Hot to Trot Racing. Mm-hmm. But she won the Queen Mary at Royal Ascot after a very pleasing uh, debut success at Bath, a track that we frequent very regularly. Um, but, um, yes, she was just uh, a star pupil that did everything right. And, and um, through having a, a good track record now, the likes of Whitsbury Stud have, have been very... Um, uh, helpful in, in sending us nice horses. I, I had my she had my first ever Group One winner for the for the Harpers in, in a filly called Gilt Edge Girl. She won the Prix de l'Abbé, hmm. and um, they've they've got a knack of producing really good sprinters, especially. And um, you know they're they're standing a very good and exciting stallion called Havana Gray right now, who's who's really leading the way with the with the stallions. Yeah. Uh, and and um, so yeah. That was another one of their family heartache that um, holds very dear memories. Well, of course, I, I first met you, I expect you can remember it, but I remember meeting you when uh, 
uh, heartwarming ran at I think it was Sandown and he won up there. Yeah. Um, and that was my first ever winner as a sort of a quote horse owner, albeit uh, probably his left testicle or something. But uh, nonetheless, I, <laughs> I owned a bit of it, so I was quite happy with that being part of Hot to Trot. But um, well, that was quite rare because she was a filly, so I don't know how you work that one out. All right, then yeah, I got I got that one wrong. Okay, I hold my hands up then. <laughs> I always get mixed up between fillies and colts and what have you, anyway. But uh, it's a it's a horse at the end of the day, Clive. Come on. Well, now the last of Clive's musical choices, and it's Jesse J and Bang Bang. <laughs>
Jesse J there and bang bang. Um, yeah. <laughs> but but uh, going back to Harry Angel, how would you say you could compare Harry Angel with Baid then at the moment? Well, Baid's getting a mile and a quarter for a start. Harry didn't get an inch over six furlongs and probably would have been equally successful over five furlongs. Um, but we didn't run him over five furlongs for the simple reason he was quite a um, hot temperament and if things went wrong and, and we were, you know, he liked to travel into a race and then produce uh, a really strong finish. Um, he broke track records at Haydock and, and um, went on very fast ground and very slow ground as well. But um, I think Baid is a, is a completely different, you know, he's, he's, he could run up to a mile and a quarter, probably even a mile and a half, whether they run him in the arc this year or not, I don't know. But um, yeah, so Harry was, pure speed and that was that was as far as his stamina would last yeah okay now behind every good trainer there's always a good jockey and and you obviously have used um, adam kirby you know a lot and you've got a very close relationship i presume with him you know tell me about adam how's uh, how do you how did you get you know first get in touch with him and you know how did you uh, develop your relationship with him well, I first saw him ride at Wolverhampton one day and he rode a winner for Gay Kellaway. And um, uh, that was a very long time ago, probably 20 years ago now, I'd say. Um, and um, anyway, we, we did use him and um, he was amazing. He rode a horse called Ionian Spring at Chester and, and it was amazing how he put his hands on his neck and settled this horse. He was really keen. And as a seven-pound claiming apprentice, the only person that had really done that with any confidence before was was the one and only Pat Edry mm. and um, from that point on we, we grew a relationship and um, he came on board as my apprentice and I'm not sure how many winners he's ridden for us now but he's he's had the most amazing career and he's won a couple of July Cups for us amongst many other, I'm not sure how many Group 1 winners he's ridden for us but he's he's a first class human being most importantly a really really nice guy a hugely talented horseman and he does the most amazing thing with his weight because he's a big fella and what he's managed to do over the years has been uh, even more commendable because it's it's been hard work with his weight mm. well that shows that shows the dedication and the hard work that, that goes into being a jockey everybody thinks it's easy just sit on a horse and ride it but there's a hell of a lot more to it than that isn't there most definitely, yeah, without a shadow of doubt. But um, I think in another era he would have he would have been a warrior without any shadow of doubt. Hmm. But um, a very very good good rider, and um, uh, you know I, I'm, I'm very pleased that we've we've earned many successes together. And again, sticking with Harry Angel in a minute, I'm, I'm just looking at the, apparently he's, he's earned you or earned the owners, I should say, eight hundred and seventy three thousand five hundred and three pounds, which is one hell of a lot of money. Yeah, he was a forty-two thousand um, purchase as a as a yearling, so it it was um it was a happy ending, you know. It was uh, mm. what we, it, yeah, that, that's hitting the bullseye really. And and he's happily now at stud. Where where is he at stud? Well, he actually shuttles from here um, at the moment. He's at Darley Studs in, in Newmarket, but he he does shuttle to the southern hemisphere as well. Mm. So he's he's got a um, whole um, generation. Uh, appearing there, and they'll be making their racecourse debuts quite soon. So uh, yeah, he's he's getting a few runners to to hopefully carry his name forwards. 
Now, um, obviously, being a, a hot trot man, you know, I, I've got an interest in Millie Millia and also um, Get Ahead. Of those two, I mean, you know, what can you tell me about them? How do you see them going, their, their future careers going, as it were? Well, totally different distances, really. Um, Millie Miglia, she, she won at Newmarket, but um, um, she went close on the all-weather at Kempton. She's probably not in love with this really firm ground after the dry summer we've had. Yeah. Um, but um, hopefully we've got entries for her, and with a drop of rain about on the weekend, hopefully she'll be running on the grass. Get ahead, I've got enormous um, confidence in. She's a very fast filly who won at Goodwood and over five furlongs the minimum distance. And um, we have got um, some group entries in mind for her. I don't think there's any doubt. I think she'll be an even better filly next year with, with strengthening even more. So I'm, I'm quite excited about her because she is very fast. Mm. Um, so next year's looking forward to that then. You, 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 you can see a, a good future for him then, her. I certainly, I hope so. Yes, I, I really do, and I think we've we've yet to see. I mean, what she did at Goodwood this year, although it was a handicap um, against her own three-year-old age group, uh, she was very impressive. And I think with with the sprinters, as they get stronger, um, that that's what it's all about. If you if you're naturally fast, that strength just allows you to put a bit of a sharper edge on it as well. Hmm. Um, I've got a few other things here. Um, First of all, there's an awful lot of debate in horse racing at the moment of, of the prize money or the lack of it in uh, in this country. What, what's your take on that? I mean, it, it seems to be a major problem at the moment. Yeah, I think it is. Um, I think uh, there are some races that are, are, are equally um, up there with the prize money, the, the, the group races and one thing or another. But I think on a global perspective, we are getting left behind. And I think, frankly... I think there is a little bit too much racing and I think it's being diluted with too much racing. And uh, that's a personal opinion, um, but that's where I think the, the, the crux lies with it at the moment. Well, you know, that was that was the next question. Is there too much racing? And clearly you, you feel it is. Uh, I mean, I was only looking at last weekend, there was two races which had prize money of about... 60 odd thousand pounds uh i think it was Newmarket or might have been goodwood and there was only four runners in it and and you sort of thought well hang on a minute you know on the one hand people are saying that there's not enough prize money around but then there was only four entries you know how do you get over that sort of situation well i think the extremely dry summer's got a small part to play but i think generally there is um a, a lot a lot more racing than there was and i think you know People are talking that, that, you know, leisure time is important, but we're racing seven days a week now, which we weren't. And, you know, it, it's wall to wall. So when as soon as they've pulled up in one race, you're watching another one start. And, um, you know, I, I think it is difficult to, to keep that whole um, propelled amount of horses turning up day after day. And, and you know, a, a good horse needs time to get over a race. So um, I, I think it's it's very difficult to... Uh, the balance is, is not there at the moment, and um, hopefully um, it, it will improve. But we've increased the workload of, of everything so much that there is, is just a little too much racing at the moment. And I think um, uh, that's my own personal point of view. 
Yeah. Well, no, you're right. I mean, there certainly is. And I mean, now it's sort of evening racing. There's, there's Sunday racing. There's there's competition, Sunday league and all this sort of stuff. I mean, uh, how do you think, you know, we're, we're in the midst of a, a major financial crisis in the whole country. Um, you know, I was just talking to somebody recently about football and, that, and the amount of money that's flushing about in football. But on the other hand, you know, if this, this sort of money's flashing around, are we expecting people to... Uh, pay their electricity bill, which has just gone up eighty percent, and then go racing or football, as the case may be. You know, we're we're in the entertainment business. We mustn't forget that, um, and it is a, a huge privilege to own a racehorse. Mm. But you know, there's a lot of syndicates out there that that make it affordable, um, but also the whole staffing of of the the situation and and the racing game. Um, is, a, is a huge pressure if we keep expanding the sport. And, you know, there is a cut-off point or a tipping point in, in every circumstance. And, um, you know, the Derby and Grand National, those sort of races are absolutely fine. We're not, we're not really worried about those. It's the everyday stuff that I think is, is out of balance. Mm. And um, I, I feel that there's a little bit of greed appearing whereby you know the race courses the bookmakers are um you know wagging the tail here and and or, or wagging the dog because uh you know we're, we're having to um you know if we've got nice horses we need somewhere to go the important races are, are instrumental that's what the bha should be um in charge of and and you know really and truly it's um I hope the powers that be can can manage it because I think individually we all have to manage our own businesses within that. And, and you know, I'm grateful we've got a wonderful team of staff. Uh, but but the pressure's never been quite as demanding as it is at the moment. I mean, do you, looking forward, do you, do you look forward with with confidence, or is there a certain air of of uh, I would say gloom, but sort of caution, shall we say, with the, with with the future? I think it would be. It would be very sad um, to uh, lose that attraction, and and I think sometimes more is not necessarily better. Mm. And uh, I, I think you know, obviously the key races and and the pattern is so important. But as I've just said, I think that the everyday racing uh, needs to be a little bit more directed, and that there's no way more is better. Mm. But I mean, I suppose syndicates generally, and the rise of the syndicates now, I mean, is a hell of a lot more than they used to be. That that is 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 a positive sign from a point of view of horse racing. Yeah, and, and I think it's the most wonderful feeling to be involved in a sport. Either either you get that buzz out of football or racing, or but that buzz is just unbelievable when mm -hmm. when you win at a sport that. Let's face it; anyone can compete against it. It doesn't matter who you are. Um, if if you're on, if you are involved, albeit as a small shareholder in a syndicate, or or a whole owner individually, but I think that feeling of success is is um, is what we're all driving for, and it is the most wonderful feeling. And and you know, some people prefer football, and and it's just the same. That that winning feeling and and success is is what we're all driving for. And out of a um, you know, a busy world that we live in, to, to see that and feel that is, is what 
drives us all on really yeah absolutely so you know finally Clive I mean, you know what's the future for Clive Cox racing then where do you see yourselves going in say in the next five years well I think we just like to keep turning up with nice horses um, I dream about buying another Harry Angel and, and being at the um, sort of levels he took us to yeah and um, that that really drives me on and that feeling of success is what everybody that gets involved with um, with racing is is looking for and, and sharing that with like-minded people is, a, is the best feeling in the world. Well look Clive thank you ever so much for coming on the show really appreciate it it's, it's been very entertaining I hope for people that are going to be listening to us um, I'll let you know when it's going to be broadcast in case you have the uh, uncontrollable urge to listen to it um, but in the meantime you know thanks ever so much for coming on and uh, the only other You're thing very is welcome. Um, what we do do is, we, I don't know if I mentioned it to you before, but we, we, we try and run it a bit like uh, Desert Island Discs and This Is Your Life. It's a combination of the two. So is there any way you can give me five tracks that you're very fond of that we can slot into the programme? Oh, my God. Okay. I mean, do you want to well. think about it? Or, or, do you want to think about it? Well, text? no, I was, very, I was very lucky when I first went into racing, actually, um, uh, so Sting had a horse in training with us, and I oh, went yeah. to one of the first rehearsals before they went on their first world tour. So I was a big fan of Police. Right. Um, I've written these down. Um, anything from Whitney Houston, I was just we we went and saw her in concert when she was in uh, Wembley very many years ago. Yeah. Um, Christa Burke, that's another um, a big fan of his music. Yeah. Uh, That's true. You're doing okay. You're doing okay. Yeah, <laughs> Bruce Springsteen. Anything from Bruce is, is grand. Right. So they're a bit of a bit of a random mix there, but yeah. that would be the crux of of what um, the sort of music that I would I would um, be pleased to. Yeah. Oh, one more. One more. Hmm. Ooh. Jesse J. Jesse J. Okay. Yeah, very fond memories after Lethal Force won the Hungerford and she was playing after racing. Oh, really so that, that's the reason for that. There you go. Great. OK, Clive, well, look, thank you ever so much for that. Uh, really appreciate it. And um, hopefully maybe I can give you okay, a, a ring every so often just to have a catch-up with you to see how things are going and we can get it on the radio show then. You're very well. Well, I hope that's really helpful and, and it's been a pleasure talking to you. Oh, and you, Clive. It's, it's really good of you to do it. You're always welcome. Okay, thanks, Clive. We'll look Take after care, yourself. Eddie. Uh, Cheers. Have a, have a good day. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. This is Three Valleys Radio. The heart is a blue. And you've been listening to the In Conversation programme with A.D. Hopper. Make sure you join us every week here on Three Valleys Radio. And the reason that you had to care And you're not moving anywhere You thought you found a friend To take you out of this place Someone you could lend a hand in return